is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. Oils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, this is Trevor, and for myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 218. This time around, you are joined by writer-director Neil Berger. At time of release, his terrifying adventure, Voyagers, is in theaters now. We discuss the relationship of science fiction and horror, the influence of classic universal monster movies, and his love of Bride of Frankenstein. Go deep into space and get let in on the fascinating secrets and research of this unique world he created for his new film, and so much more. Episode 218 is a go for launch. Over. You are the link between past and future generations and have been entrusted with the survival of our species. The normal kids. I'm sensitive and smart. I need to protect them. We won't ever see the planet. I want to be honest with them. About everything. He can't protect you. Protect us from what? Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an immensely inspiring filmmaker. He studied fine arts at Yale and then became immersed in the experimental film scene, creating evocative interstitials for MTV, directing music videos for alternative bands like the Meat Puppets before joining the illustrious Ridley Scott's production company, where he was responsible for commercial campaigns for the world's most well-known brands and entities. He wrote and directed his first feature in 2002, the multi-award-winning Interview with the Assassin. Following that up, crafted the Oscar-nominated The Illusionist with Ed Norton, Jessica Biel, and Paul Giamatti. The Lucky Ones with Rachel McAdams and Tim Robbins. And one of the coolest sci-fi thrillers ever created, Limitless, with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro, that went on to spawn a terrific TV series for CBS. He brought the stories of Divergent to the big screen, paired Brian Cranston, Kevin Hart, and Nicole Kidman for the award-winning The Upside, and so much more. His work is full of excitement, exploration with a sense of adventure, and it oozes with style. The new film is Voyagers. It's in theaters April 9th. It's about a group of astronauts who are a part of an effort to save the human race by colonizing a distant planet. We are honored to welcome its writer-director, Neil Berger. Yeah! yeah! Thank you for having me. Thanks for all that. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you for all the amazing brain candy you've given us yes. over the years. And congratulations yes. on this tremendous thrill ride i'm telling you we had so much fun with this and you have a, yeah. you've established yourself as such a master of tension and release carried along by stories that are just impossible to step away from now voyagers is soaked in this and as much as it is many things we find it very much a horror film as well 
What is your relationship to the horror genre as a viewer? And what's the first time you remember seeing a horror film and how it made you feel? Well, horror, horror movies were the things that were the movies that I was most interested in when I was growing up, when I was a kid, when I was really young. And, you you know, they were at that time, you know, you they were playing them at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, when you got home from school, just really early ones like, you know, the, the original Frankenstein, the original Dracula, you know, those kind of movies, the werewolf. And I found them very... I, I just found them very compelling. And then I sort of, as I got older, I sort of stayed interested in that. And there were these German expressionist movies like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I don't know if you've ever seen that or, or Nosferatu, which was really the original Dracula movie. And they were, you know, they were silent films and they had this sort of hand cranked quality that I found kind of unnerving. And you talked about suspense and, that kind of intention. They just sort of had those and I found them, um, you know, I, I couldn't look away from them. And I always wanted to inject that kind of tension and that kind of sort of, I call it existential dread into the movies that I do. Back in 2009, the reports were all around that you were at the time in talks to do this adaption of Bride of Frankenstein. Speaking of all those great universal movies and things. Now, this is years before the concept of the Universal Dark Universe or anything. It might have even been earlier than that, actually, when we when I actually wrote a a screenplay for the um, as a that was an update of the modernization, if you will, of the of the Bride of Frankenstein. They've gone you know, it's at Universal has been sort of, you know, trying to figure out exactly how they want to do all those dark universe, how they want to reinvent all that, all those great movies from their early, uh, you know, repertory. And so anyway, I think they've, they've moved on probably, you know, four times since then into, into different, different takes on it, but I did do it and it was really fun to, to do it. And I mean, you can even see from the illusionist, it's not a horror movie, but it has like a Gothic quality to it. And I like that. What did the original mean to you, the original Bride of Frankenstein, and what experience were you excited to create? Well, I, I mean, I liked the, you know, I liked the original Frankenstein, and it was, um, you know, I just like the idea of that sort of creation of life. And in a way, you have it, you see it in Voyagers, that there's this creation of, they've trying to figure out how are they going to send these you know, how are they going to get to a distant planet? It's a multi-generational trip. Who's going to go on that? Who's going to go on a one-way trip that they're going to die during the the journey there? They're not even going to get to see the planet because it takes 86 years, you know, with the next generation propulsion system that, so who are going to do that? So nobody's going to do that, at least nobody that they want. And so they decide to kind of, they create life. Basically they cultivate their own, you know, they take, sperm from a, you know, Nobel laureate in astrophysics and with a egg from an MIT microbiologist, you know, some other genius, and they create these kids in a lab and they raise them in confinement. So in a way it has the same kind, it's not Frankenstein because they're not, they're not stitched together, but in a way they are sort of genetically stitched together. They're human. They're absolutely human, but they are, you know, have been created for a purpose. So it's very kind of Frankenstein like. Yeah, it really is. Also that thrill of discovery that we get to watch as well. So that's it. I mean, let's go to space. So not only have you built your own terrifying world here with Voyagers, but you've had the experience of working alongside Ridley Scott to set the bar for intergalactic terror. What's your take on the relationship between space and horror? Well, I think that they're close. And in a way, it was always interesting because when you're, you know, when you're trying to, 
get a movie made and you have to sort of pitch it to people who are going to finance it. It's like, well, it's a, it's necessarily a sci-fi movie because it takes place in space. So I guess it has to be a sci-fi movie, but in a way to me at its kind of dark heart, it was always kind of a, a horror movie or like just a movie of psychological terror in a way about fear and about people using fear, you know, for all the wrong reasons and manipulating fear. And, but so it, it definitely had a, you know, horror roots to it, even though it is, you know, it's set in space. So it has to be like sci-fi. The movie is such a fascinating uh, exploration of the idea of how we'd leave earth and colonize other planets or the outer reaches of space. Where did the idea for the script come from? The original idea just kind of, I guess a couple of images came to me a a long time ago. And one image was of these young people sitting on the floor in a very cramped compartment that was was sort of uh, sort of given as a, you know, in my head was like, it was a, on a spaceship and they were just kind of sitting there kind of zoned out, not talking very still, almost like dead, but, but not dead. And then the second image was that same group running down like a really narrow corridor in the spacecraft, chasing one of their co-crew members and catching him and beating him to death. Wow. Those are the the two images. And I thought, what's that? What's what what is that all about? And um, and I really began to like think, well, okay, why are would these young people? I was like interested in it. I thought there was something interesting there. I was like, why would these young people be on a spaceship? Are they alone? Are they with other people? No, they're alone. So why would they be? Why would they be there? And so I kind of created this backstory for it and this reason to be because it was it was not just to do it but because it, it was suddenly getting into into it was sort of triggering ideas about human nature who are we at our core are we good are we bad are we you know if you strip away all cultural influence are we what are we are we are we good or are we brutes or are we you know are we naturally you know moral or generous or or not or just intrinsically selfish anyway so because those those ideas were coming up as part of it then i kind of kept building out a world and building out a story and 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 that's and that's now the end result is the movie well as you said i mean we there's so much to meditate on within this story from like you said there's toxic masculinity to the human condition sex there's things you could pull out relating to the pandemic and even a toxic work environment So this movie very much feels like a song that can have a different meaning to whoever listens to it. But everyone will definitely identify and it will become a personalized experience to the viewer. How much of that was a conscious effort in lacing the storyline with these different chemtrails? Well, I like I mean, I like that what you're saying about that. It has these different things that resonate. And I and I am interested in doing that. And I think that that happens because I in a certain way, I'm willing to go right at and ask these questions. Like there's one Ty Sheridan who plays Christopher in the movie, who's really the lead character, though kind of the lead sort of shifts around a little bit, but it's, he is torn by whether he should be good or whether he should do his duty or whether he should just give in and be rebellious and do whatever he wants to do. And he asks the question at one point in the movie, very specific, it's like, why should we be good? If we're all going to die in the end anyway, why can't we just do what we want all the time? And it's like, he just asks it outright. And you don't really, in most movies, you don't really, people don't ask those, but it's kind of disarming in a way. He says it to Colin Farrell, who is sort of disarmed by it. 
and doesn't quite have the answer for it because it is such a direct kind of raw expression of like, why, why do anything for the common good? You know, which of course I don't feel that way at all, but, but it's like, but it is something that we all like, we all wrestle with. So I try to ask those questions and I, I do try to lace all those ideas through so that it does, this stuff does resonate. Well, let's get into the world building, starting with the actors. It's delightful to watch their characters begin to change. What did you like about the way that Ty, Lily Rose, Finn and Colin ignited the material? Well, I, I mean, the, the key to me was finding, you know, the characters start out and they're sort of, they're deadened. They're very docile at the beginning. And then, of course, they erupt into just wild, abandoned craziness. But at the beginning, you're looking at them and they don't really are doing much. They're all dressed the same. They're not really they barely they're so still um, because they've got nothing to the ship runs itself. They've never known anything else. And they're just like their inner metronome is just barely, you know, clicking. So I needed actors that would still have personality. Also that you feel like you wouldn't recognize these people from, you know, your neighborhood street. They were just something like off about them yet. They something that had some kind of inner personality anyway. So they had to be great actors to kind of like, you know, elicit that kind of emit that sort of personality. And so, yeah, Ty Sheridan is amazing. I mean, people have seen him in ready player one. He's in some of the X-Men movies. He's, started out doing like Terrence Malick movies, the tree of life, I think was his first movie. He's an incredible actor. And then Finn Whitehead who plays Zach, uh, you know, he's a really mischievous guy, Finn in general. And he plays a really evil villain and Lily Rose Depp, you know, she's Johnny Depp's daughter. So she's got the acting genes, but you never know whether they really do. And, but she does, you know, she's kind of a, it seems ridiculous to say, well, she's a movie star, but she's a movie star, you know, she's obviously a movie, but she's never obvious. So she is. And then other people like Shante Adams, who plays Phoebe and Isaac um, Hempstead Wright, who we know from Game of Thrones, you know, they're all kind of, there's something sort of off about all of them in, in like a good way. There's something interesting and sort of different about them yet. You know, they're so you look at them and you know what's going on in their eyes, what's going on inside them. You know, the Boo Crew will be right back Two all color, all action hits. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein Conquers the World stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein incarnate with the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World astounding on the giant screen, also on the same program. Tarzan, man of the jungle, with only a lion, a leopard, and a chimp as his army, can they conquer the hired killers of the dealer in death? Cy Weintraub presents... Tarzan and the Valley of Gold with Mike Henry and Nancy Kovac in Panavision and Color from American International Pictures. The set design and tech is so interesting and cool looking. How fun and challenging was it to reimagine a spacecraft and what did that feel and look like? 
Well, I kind of wanted it to be like, like, a, like, cause it, to me, the movie's about human nature in a vacuum. I sort of wanted the spacecraft. I, first of all, I wanted it to be very minimal, you know, that like any ship that's going that distance, it's not a shopping mall in space. There's too, that'd be too heavy to push through space, require too much fuel, whatever it is, too much energy. And so I kind of thought of it as like a submarine movie. There was like really tight quarters. And then I thought about it when I was starting to say before, sort of human nature in a vacuum. Who are we when we're stripped away of everything? So I wanted the ship to kind of have very little in it. So it's all just kind of these white walls and these very simple and cramped quarters. So that was really fun to do. And one thing that we did for research, and we did a lot of research talking to people from NASA, but we went to SpaceX, which is Elon Musk's, space company and we hung out there and um, they were very generous with their time and with their engineers and sort of looked at how they were going about what they were doing now, but even on some of their plans for, you know, you know, more longer range missions. Anyway, it was really informative and we tried to use, you know, as much as we could in the movie. That's awesome. What is the significance of those symbols and patterns on the glass panels that we see throughout the well, show? There's, we were trying to come up with like a new, sort of vocabulary and almost kind of like a new touch screen and a new, a new and sort of a new graphic um, representation about like how even they would like, like they would, wouldn't type words. It would all be, they just didn't write things out in the same way. And, and so those, it was just like an interesting, like new next generation kind of graphic display of, you know, the, it's all about um, the, um, you know, climate control in it and air pressure and temperature and all that sort of thing is what it's, you know, what it's supposed to be displaying. And how about designing all the ray guns and spacesuits and all that stuff? Yeah, that was good. I mean, starting with like the, we, you know, we started, they're wearing really, really simple things. They're wearing like t-shirts and, and, but they're really actually interesting. Like they were like almost like extruded from like a single piece of cloth. They've got no seams in them and things like that. And so it was very cool working with my costume designer to come up with that, to find like some weird fabric. But then the spacesuits were very cool because again, looking at, we were looking at um, examples of like where people were going with them and how, you know, there was even spacesuits that are being developed, which we didn't do because we didn't think people would believe them. They were almost like as thin as a wetsuit. And that somehow it still like was strong enough to, you know, pressurize and things like that. But we were going in that direction. And then and just even coming up there, a color that I'd never seen before, this sort of neon yellow for these spacesuits that hasn't really been used. And it was just great to work. There was a guy that was like the spacesuit designer who was like amazing. We here at the Boo Crew, we love props and we love costumes. So I have to ask, did you keep anything from the production, like the spacesuits or the ray guns or any weaponry? I don't have a gun. I don't. Those spacesuits were too expensive to keep because they, I mean, really expensive. So they're like in storage in case we had to reshoot something. What do I have? I'm trying to think if I have anything like right, right here. I have a 3D model of the of the ship. Oh, that's, which is that's like, awesome! It's not colored. It's really we just used it as a. Do you want to see it? Yeah, yeah of course. It's going to be really underwhelming when you see it. It's just all black. It was just basically it was 3D printed, and it was just something that we worked. That's on. really cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to see it. No, we get excited over like <laughs> copies of like <laughs> yeah, yeah storyboards <laughs> even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, these were sort of like working. 
working models of things. So it's not it's not colored, but it is, you know, it's fairly it's kind of Yeah, that's great. That's it's so fairly cool. detailed. And we and we have, you know, and then we have like the 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 plans of the you know how all the rooms fit together with the long hallways and that this is all you know fuel and propulsion and then this is actually it's a it's a shield basically for deflecting particles that as you because they're going so fast but it's also the shuttle that's going to take them down to the ship but they're really just li- living in this cylinder right now which is sort of this center portion which has like a you know we have a whole idea of like how the gravity is done which is different than in other things it's much more of like having like a coil <laughs> like if you think of like the way a uh, generator works or something like that it's like a coil electromagnetic coil that goes around it that that's kind of creating a, a sort of a magnetic field in there that kind of creates gravity you know we you know we have we have um you know, thinking behind. Yeah. All that. Oh my God. That's, that's amazing. Awesome. The yeah. details. It's only in that one cylinder. It's not in like the engine part or anything else. Sure. So. Sure. Since you mentioned uh, SpaceX and Elon Musk, I was thinking, you know, the movie is rooted in what science looks like today. And in the near future, there's no harnessing the power of a black hole or time travel yeah. or wormholes. <laughs> Talk about keeping the storyline rooted in current ideas of science and space exploration. Yeah, it was an interesting thing because obviously there's all those theories about wormholes and there's different and there's propulsion systems as well that are, again, I sort of wanted to strip it away not to, to sort of make it analog in a way because I wanted to make it very human. I didn't want to have any sort of fantasy element and certainly the idea of suspended animation has been in kind of the popular sort of lexicon for 50, 70 years now, but it doesn't really work. You know, it's, it, there's actually been, they can't get it to work. And then the other, you know, so it was, and, and the idea of like freezing, you know, fetuses or something like that for long, you know, it doesn't, they wouldn't sustain. So I kind of did away with that. And the wormholes, I didn't really want the fantasy of it. I wanted like the real hard, like just, it was going to take even a hundred years. It's like, there's still, I mean, there is fantasy in the fact that they're going 5% of the speed of light, which is what basically I decided that this propulsion system would drive them at that speed. And that's kind of the one sort of taking artistic and scientific license in the sense of like, um, you know, to get up there, I don't know. <laughs> but, but so the, the whole idea was like, well, we're just going to do the long, hard work of getting there. There's no like friendly robot that travels along with them and things like that. You know, it's all just kind of, I didn't want any of that. I wanted to just kind of like all about them sort of confined to this, to this space, you know, to this, to the ship, you know, to this, and how they how they dealt with it, and what wh- basically when they began to crack. Yeah, and you, I mean, you put us right yes. in there. And when they begin to crack, yeah. we feel helpless and isolated. Yeah. Like I was looking at Lauren, and yes. we're watching. What are they going to do? They can't just leave yeah. the ship, yeah. you know. If they send a distress right. signal, you've already set up that it takes like months or a year, or however long yeah. it was, yeah. just one way, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, it was so intense. Yeah. I was panicked. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, oh my good. god, yeah. <laughs> 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 so another thing I wanted to mention, you worked with probably one of our 
favorite composers that we've been exposed through M. Yeah. Night Shyamalan's Servant, which, oh my God, he's killing it. And that's Trevor oh, Gorekas. And yeah. he fills the space on this, but doesn't get in the way of the beauty and the effect of the absence of sound that you put in this. But it's still, he captures that wonder and excitement of what these kids are feeling for the first time. And there's that wonderful score where they're running down the hallway and there's that montage of the rush of discovery and it's playful and stunning. But then he has the ability to turn that power on a dime and they discover the sad realities of things. Yeah, exactly. So tell us just about that collaboration of working with him in particular, the way he plays with those elements and how that was in there. Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, he's somebody that somebody suggested to me and this woman that had been actually the music supervisor on the illusion. So I was like, who do you like? Who's to, this is what I want. I want this kind of sense of existential dread. And she was like, Oh, you should listen to him. And so, and I didn't know of his work beforehand, but I, then I, you know, listened to that music on the servant and he had done one other movie, which was called um, the goldfinch, which is actually just a drama, but it has like a really heavy score. And I was like, Whoa, that's like a really wild choice for a movie. That's a drama. And it's kind of what I'm after. Anyway. So I spoke to him and I said, this is kind of what I'm after. And, and he just came back, you know, he sort of auditioned in a way with some music came back a number of days later and it was exact. It's the music that's in the movie. Really. He came, I was like, that's, that's it. It had this like these really heavy chords that were again, just, you can't keep saying existential driver. They had like this sort of sense of doom in them. And then he had those kind of like scratchy strings that were so unnerving and, and, and weird. And, and I hadn't quite heard that before anyway. So I think he's so great. And I really, you know, we're really lucky to have him. And I think the score is very strong. Last question. What's next down the path here? I'm actually in, in pre I mean, this movie comes out on Friday in theaters in like, 1800 theaters across the country and which is great that I, I always saw it as a cinematic movie and or a movie to be seen in cinemas. And so it's great that, that, that their Lionsgate's releasing it that way. And then I'm in pre-production on a movie called the Marsh King's daughter, which is, um, different. It takes place in the wilderness. Couldn't be more. It's like if Voyagers is like takes place in this artificial space, this takes place in the woods. And, um, it's with, uh, Daisy Ridley and, um, uh, and I can't, I'm not sure I can say who the actor is. We're just getting his deal done, but, um, but you know, Daisy Ridley from star Wars. And, um, so, and it's a very different role for her, but it's a great, but it's a physical role still. And she's, it's, it's a thriller and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Oh, it's exciting. Lauren, you had a question. I'm sorry. I walked oh, right over you. It's okay about Voyagers. <laughs> um, I wanted to know if you wrote a different ending or was it always without giving anything away? Was it always going to end the way that it ended? It did end that way because I think it, it um, you know, may, I, it's possible that it, it, the ending happened a little sooner and then I, and, and I didn't have this, but then I quite quickly came up with that sort of epilogue. But it's funny because I've written, I feel like I have a novel's worth of material before they take off, you know, Colin Farrell's character and why he does what he does and chooses what to do what he does. And, you know, anyway, and I, and I think I know where it's going after it's ending too, you know, so. Oh man, that would be fun to explore both ways. Yeah. 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 I'm picturing TV yeah. series, films, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> All right, man. Neil, thank you so much for making this movie yes. and making awesome yeah. stuff. We thank appreciate you. it so much. Yeah.
Thank you. Thanks for thanks for seeing it and thanks for your questions. I really appreciate it. Awesome, Neil. All right. Well, enjoy awesome. the rest of your day. Thank you for your time. You too. Take All care. Right. Later. Bye-bye. That was the Boom Crew Podcast, episode 218. Special thanks to our guest, Neil Berger. Follow him at neil.berger on Instagram. At time of release, his new film, Voyagers, is in theaters now. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.